I am a compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic. Hi, I'm very grateful to be here. Hi to everybody, and thank you very much uh, for having me speak here. I'm a very, very, oh my life to it, grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. I had no idea that what was going on with me with food was something that could be helped or alleviated or that it was connected to anything else. I grew up in a very small town in Quebec and uh, what looked like a normal family. I was one of five kids, parents, and my grandmother lived with us. I do associate my childhood with food. And uh, in those days, we had an allowance. I think it was five cents a week, actually. And uh, I associate my childhood with penny candy and allowance, keeping a box of trick cereal under the bed, my own private box, and um, inventing Oreos by putting icing in between cookies long before they existed. And I came up with my own inventions of how to do almost anything, including food. I was the biggest, tallest kid in the class, and I was the biggest kid in the class. So in those school photographs in elementary school, I'm in the middle of the back row. And I'm, I'm, the, I'm five foot nine, and I'm the shortest of four sisters. So, you know, in my house, I was little. But out in the world, I was big, and I was teased, and I was called Dumbo. And I can tell you that that never goes away, that I still remember that. And I started my first diet when I was in grade 10, so 15, I guess. And I always wanted to be thinner and look slender and we had all those magazines that I flipped through even these small towns in the middle of nowhere and looked at people who used to practice my model poses in front of the mirror and then go and eat and I um, my first diet was successful I ate basically three meals a day nothing in between and uh, got to my goal weight and then started eating again my goal weight I mean this is all around a normal looking kid who wanted to like you know lose 10 pounds. This is not, I was not super heavy. I wasn't super thin. I was in that normal zone. I went to college and while I was in my second year, my mother killed herself without any warning. And we did not talk about feelings. We were very waspy, polite, proper, and she had already been cremated by the time I was told she was dead. And this was in 1976. And there was no talk of what to do with the family after a suicide. There was no, now there's a whole field of postvention in, in, in getting in there with the family and the kids and everybody else after there's been a suicide in a family. That didn't exist. I took a month off school and went home and answered all the sympathy cards and then I went back to college 
and finished my year and finished my next year and I hired a housekeeper to clean the house and she ended up being my stepmother and hated us and I was by myself by the time I was 18. And I think of that time as diets. Eat, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. And then eating it. And then tomorrow it'll be different. And next month it'll be different. And somewhere in college, I went to Weight Watchers. And we all know about the blender and the Weight Watchers. And I got down to my goal weight. And then I remember distinctly that my feeling was I'm bored. And I was bored which I now know doesn't exist as a feeling on my sponsor's been telling me for years, there's no such thing as boredom, it's a cover emotion. But back then I didn't have any of that. So I just thought I was bored, so I ate. And that was my life. And my emotional state went straight downhill because every day I spent hours thinking, I didn't save my mother, why didn't I stop it? Why didn't I see it? How could this be? How could my mother kill herself? What sort of family are we and what sort of kids are we and what sort of daughter am I if my mother wants to kill herself? I better eat. And that's how I got through my 20s. And I saved all the pills that all the doctors that I went to gave me because they saw somebody who was depressed. And in retrospect, nobody asked me how I was feeling ever. And I was 29 and I had saved all the pills from all the doctors and they were all in a giant shoebox. And on my 30th birthday, I was gonna kill myself because I had tried everything. I can't explain the hell that every single day was on the inside. On the outside, I went to school, I put myself through graduate school, I came down to the States, I got a great job, I had a bunch of friends, I was training for marathons and every single day I wanted to die and I wanted to be dead. And when I was 29 and a half, I heard a woman say, if I can't lose 15 pounds, I'm going to have to go to that Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't even acknowledge that anybody had said anything, but I thought, what is that? I'd never heard of AA. And um, I looked it up in the phone book and went to my very first meeting at um, Lenox Hill Hospital in New York, and I'm forever grateful to them. It was a Wednesday night. It was July 8th of 1987. I stood in the back. I got there late, and I listened to people talking, and nobody was talking about diets, and they were talking about what they were feeling, and I couldn't understand what was going on. And then they said the meeting was over, and I left because, God forbid, I would talk to anybody. And I went home, and I sat on the edge of my bathtub, and I couldn't stop crying. I didn't know what had happened or what was going on. And I also didn't know you were allowed to go to more than one meeting a week. I thought it was like the Girl Guides, that you went once a week and then you went to the same meeting again. So if you're at all new, you can go to any meeting, anytime, anywhere. And I went the following Wednesday, July 14th, 1987, and that was the first day of my current abstinence. So I'll have, I have 31 years today. And, um, I say that because I've now been abstinent longer than I was in the food. And my life changed dramatically and circuitously. I was so afraid to have somebody say that they would not sponsor me that I didn't ask anybody to be a sponsor for six months. I went to a meeting of some kind every day. I was in therapy, thank God I had outside help. I was in therapy and OA and I dipped my toe in Al-Anon. So every single day for the first two years, I had mostly OA, five meetings a week, 
Um, in those days, call waiting had just started on the phones and I had, we got phone numbers. This is in New York. And we went from all of us, a group of us had dinner every Sunday night at the same restaurant, the same group of us at the same table for over two years. And that was real fellowship. And it was, we, we learned to talk about our feelings. We talked about what happened in the meeting. We would learn to have fun. All those things that we learned to do in this program, I was able to do on a microcosm. And as a matter of fact, one of those dinner people, two of them, I've already spoken to this morning, because that's what this program does. It gives us bonds that go on and on and on and on and on. I um, finally got a sponsor, finally. Six months in, got a sponsor because I was going out of town and I was afraid I would eat. So I had an abstinence that was... Um, no purging and no binging and no spitting up my food. I, I had developed chewing my food and spitting it up into an art form and um, accept the self-hate and the guilt and the shame seem to have been the same no matter what we did with food. It sort of that runs across the board. I got a sponsor. I had that same sponsor for uh, 20 years and then she left the program and I had a different sponsor and now I have my third sponsor and I really believe in sponsorship and um, I've also learned that this recovery is a roller coaster and I know we tend to use a lot of the same words over and over but for me it's because it works. Uh, in my first year my recovery was about the food. What am I going to eat? Where is it? How do I make sure it's safe food for me, meaning it won't trigger me? And um, will I have enough? Always a big issue. And um, my second year, my feelings started coming up. And my second year was about anger and rage. That's the best way to describe it. I wanted to razor people's faces. I wanted to shoot them. I, you know, I literally imagined taking a razor blade and making X's on people's faces. Didn't even know them, didn't matter. They hadn't even done anything. They were just there. And that was, you know, the good news is I was encouraged to feel my feelings. What I learned was even if I just feel my feelings for myself, that's recovery. Even if I can just acknowledge I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm envious, oh, I'm happy, I'm jealous, I'm relieved, I'm disappointed, all those things. I didn't know they all had names and I couldn't have identified them. But in here, I learned to identify them. I didn't know what colors I liked. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my hair. I didn't know what I wanted to do for a career. I didn't know because on the outside, I was functioning away. But on the inside, I was so separated from who I was, what I wanted, what I believed in, what I cared about. None of those things ever got developed because I was so busy in my head. I have uh, since gotten into Al-Anon, and the reason I say that is because my sponsor told me to, and I now will not sponsor anybody in OA unless they also go to Al-Anon, because my experience is that so many of the issues that we have in here have to do with people, places, and things, and that's what we ate over, and that's what I was taught, that it's the Al-Anon stuff that had me eating in the first place. That's just my opinion. But it really has helped me. It helped me clean up my food when I first went to Al-Anon 30 years ago. The other thing that changed my life, second to coming into the program, was meditation. Daily meditation practice. My sponsor dragged me to a workshop 15 years ago. 
16 and uh, July will be 16 years of daily meditation. I started with three minutes. I couldn't focus on anything. I mean, all I could think of was all the thoughts going through my head. That's not the case anymore. And I use this third step prayer as a meditation many, many, many times every morning. That's part of my meditation is to, to, is to say that prayer slowly and to say every word of it and to say it and mean it. I also want to talk about doing service in this program because doing service changed my recovery from the beginning. I was taught to show up. I was taught to lead meetings. When I came in, we didn't have OA literature. We did the steps out of the AA 12 and 12, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I've since read the OA literature and worked the steps in the OA 12 and 12. And it was really miraculous the first time I read the OA 12 and 12 to have foods, you know, in there when I'm so used to reading about alcohol. It was such a relief in so many ways. I believe in sponsoring and service and going to meetings and speaking when you're asked to and taking phone calls and making phone calls. I've been doing the some version of the panels, the marathon meetings and the special focus at the birthday party for I don't know, I have no idea, maybe five years. And it's been an amazing way of being of service. And I also have a great long list of people who I want to hear again. And it's a great way to meet people and it's a great way to practice recovery. And if you're new at all or coming back or in any way struggling to be here, service is a fantastic thing to do. There's lots of what I call passive service, which is you can be a newcomer contact, you can set up or clear up meetings, you can make phone calls, you can volunteer in the office. There's all sorts of things that we can do to help this program be better. Um, and I really believe that it just keeps getting better. I've learned that when I travel, if there's not an OA meeting, I can go to an open AA meeting. I have been to meetings in Flemish in uh, the Netherlands, and I didn't understand a word, but I felt better, and it was a meeting, and it had a format. I had my 12 steps in Flemish. The little cards we have, theirs are in Flemish. And um, I've gone to meetings all over the world, and I am going to be in Scandinavia uh, in June. And I have a sponsee who said, oh, somebody contacted her after hearing some birthday party things on online. And um, this young woman is in OA in Stockholm. Would I be in touch with her if I'm going to be in Stockholm? Of course I'll be in touch with her. Of course I'd love to see her. Why not? But it's also the service we do, especially in LA. The program is so unbelievable here. It's got a depth to it that I don't think exists anywhere else in the layers of service and the history. And the number of people who come to the birthday party because they've heard these sorts of recordings from meetings like this, from the kitchen sink, from the light a candle, they are life-changing for people. There are meetings in the Midwest where their meeting consists of listening to a speaker who's abstinent and they're in the middle of nowhere. I've heard it from Australia, I've heard it from here, I've heard it from Europe. So it's a real, a real service that we do. I um, was not very good at having relationships with men and um, I, preferred to be a bowl of popcorn watching a movie thinking about having a date than actually having a date. Um, much to my surprise, I met somebody 20 years ago and got married for the first time in my 40s. And I've been married 20 years now to somebody who is 90. By the way, that's 30 years older than I am. And um, it's been its own lesson. 
and um, I am not the best married person because I grew up having to take care of myself and live on an island and do it for myself. So learning to live with somebody else and be in a relationship and be honest and open has really been a work of progress and my program has really helped me with that. I've also learned, I was told years ago that we take our problems to the program and our solutions to the relationship. And I think that works all over the place. I've also learned that life happens on life's terms. I had an amazing friend who I'd known since 1976 who died after two months from diagnosis to death four years ago. And I st her birthday was Friday and I still think about her. And I have another friend in this program from 1987 who committed suicide 10 years ago this uh, in July. She could not stop throwing up. She got sober, she had three kids, she, she was married, she couldn't stop throwing up and it killed her. It literally killed her. And I think of how deadly this disease is and the reprieve that we get from showing up. I also um, have had to do a tremendous amount of work in dealing with my mother's death because it's hard to explain, but a suicide is a different death for me. My father died, quote, normally of cancer. And um, I was with him when he died and it was very touching and we talked about things. But my mother, I had spoken to her on Sunday on Sunday and Monday she was dead. And I, 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 it, was, it was that stunned disbelief and it's taken me a long time because at first I thought if I knew why, it would answer everything. And that goes for a lot of things that happened in, in program that I wrote about, that I talked about. The why turns out for me that the why doesn't matter. What matters is, what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And what is my part in it? And do I need to make amends? And I made a short film about suicide. And as part of that film, I went to my mother's grave and I talked to her. And I adored her. I didn't have a normal teenage rebellion. So it was that much harder for me to lose her. And I... Um, did a lot of work on finally finding my anger at her for leaving because as even though people said you you know your mother killed herself she abandoned you you on some level there's got to be some anger in there couldn't find it i was guilty for so long but i finally found it because i was abstinent because i was in this program and 4 years ago i went hiking with my siblings at one of our sibling reunions and my four siblings are my best friends in the world today and I'm very very grateful for that and as my therapist told me that your parents teach you that your parents teach you how to be with each other and that's something I'm very grateful for. Uh, we were hiking and um, I went down a slope to meet my sister and slid and as I slid I heard my ankle snap. And I knew, of course, it was broken. I was like, I know exactly what it was like. I was a Girl Scout. I broke a lot of twigs and, and branches over my knee. And that's exactly what it sounded like. And because I had program, I was able to say, OK, God. And I really broke it. I had surgery. I've got plates and screws in there. I was off it for three months. And as a compulsive overeater who never misses a workout, ever, ever since I'm 16, 
it was talk about letting go. I learned to watch the leaves outside my window and try and watch them actually grow because I couldn't move for three months. But the program taught me, the program teaches me to show up. The program taught me to show up for physical therapy even though it hurt and my eyes watered and I didn't want to do it. The program taught me to get an attitude of gratitude. I, you know, I was able to get to meetings after about a month. People called me, people showed up, I could listen to meetings. All those great things we have in this program I was able to take advantage of. Um, it was a very slow recovery. Just walking was painful. Everything was painful. And I really, really worked on not complaining about it. Just kind of biting my lip and saying, oh, oh, well, that's one of my favorite slogans. Personal slogans is, oh, well, nothing I could do about it. And um, I say that because in the olden days, I would have been eating, I would have gained, you know, 100 pounds over it because how dare something else control what I wanted to be in control of. And it was a great lesson in letting go and living in the day and doing the best I could that day. I, um, a year and a half ago, I was out walking and literally woke up on the sidewalk, happened to have stepped off Sunset Boulevard and woke up on the sidewalk, passed out. And um, I had a, um, traumatic brain injury as a result because my head hit the concrete. And um, this, since then, since this August of 17, I have had to really focus on the program and being in the moment and God is in charge. I'm not gonna detail all the things that can happen after concussion and post-concussion syndrome, but let, suffice it to say, I couldn't drive, I had headaches, I couldn't finish an article, I couldn't focus. I couldn't remember conversations. I, it was, I wanted to die in ways I'd never wanted to die before. Totally different. And I said to a doctor recently, I said, I understand those football players with CTE who kill themselves. They don't want to die. They just can't live this way anymore. And that also parallels how I felt in program. I just couldn't live this way anymore when I was using the food. I went to see I've been to so many doctors and therapists and specialists and, and, and a lot of it was old behavior of why isn't anybody helping me? Why isn't anybody helping me? And as my therapist pointed out, I mean, I, I couldn't read much, so I couldn't read much about it, but I, I couldn't understand why I, I wasn't getting better. I wasn't feeling better. And it turned out that um, people were trying to help me, but I wasn't seeing it because the help wasn't coming in the way I wanted it. And that's been a lot of my life, is that people tried to help me with, with, you know, after my mother died. People tried to help me have my feelings. People tried to help me with my food. People tried to help me. And for so long, I was so afraid and so fearful that I couldn't see it and I couldn't let it in. And so much of my work in this program has been to take in what's available, take in what's in front of me, let it be enough. That's one of my many little prayers. Let it, please God help me and let it be enough. I went to see yet another doctor um, who is a medical doctor and a healer and a body worker and blah, blah, blah. So last month when I went to see him, he said, uh, how are you doing? And I said, you know, it's not a great day today. My head's killing me. And he said, your mother's here. And I said, my mother's here? What is she? Is she in limbo, as they say? Is she stuck? 
And he said, no, she's not stuck at all. She's here to help you. And my first response was, I don't even have any words. I don't have any words. And I so realized that I was so long past the why of what happened, I couldn't, even if she walked in the room, I don't think I could think of anything to say. I, I don't even know what to say. It's been so long and my life is so different. And um, the amazing thing is, it didn't occur to me to eat over it. it. Didn't occur to me to have anything to do with food over it. It was a pure feeling. And that's the kind of thing that this program has taught me. And since she showed up, um, I take all of this with a grain of salt, I might add, but since she showed up, it's given me the opportunity to do a whole other level of work on it and to talk to my therapist about it and you know, have my mother sit in a chair and talk to her because these are the things I ate over. These are the things I've got to dig up and keep working on and lay to rest in whatever way I can. And sometimes I think they're at rest and then they come up again differently years later. I was taught years ago that we only ever have seven issues, but we approach them differently all through our lives. And nobody's issues are necessarily the same, maybe more, maybe less, but that's the idea. And that was really helpful for me because whether it's my fear or my loneliness or my um, intolerance and impatience, whatever it is that are my defects of character that I'm working on, my wanting to know why, I've had to really, really check myself because other people don't care why. And I turns out I have some slight version of OCD stuff. So I, my wanting to know why and what is it and checking doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that for me, the why, what is it, oh my God, comes out of anxiety and fear. And I just have to remember this third step prayer, God, I offer myself, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love and thy way of life. May I do thy will always, amen. And that for me is if I could take one prayer with me, I'd do these deals with myself all the time. If I could just have one prayer, that's the one it would be. Because it reminds me that it's not about me, it's about God. Let me do your will. Let me, how can I be of service today? The days when I'm feeling my worst and the days when I don't even want to be here, which still happens on account of what's going on, I just, how can I be of service? Let me call back that newcomer. Let me check in on that person from the program. What can I do today to try and help somebody else? I don't know how many days I have. I've found a new passion in work and uh, I'm working on a project that started as a hobby and has turned into something much bigger than that. And I'm very grateful for it. And it's because this program has taught me to keep showing up and showing up and showing up. And I think that's my time and I'm going to uh, stop here and thank you for letting me be of service.